Good morning. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. Good morning, Bill. Greetings. I have a question for you. Um, I have a patient who is a 75 year old barber. Um, he's got does he that. still work? Does he still cut hair? Yeah. Nice. Did he, did he cut uh, your hair? No. Okay. Just he, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, very bent over that traditional kyphotic posture. Um, Wait. sorry. Okay. I'm so okay. I, a, a, ter a term I heard this past week is the rectus strategy, which I heard <laughs> you use with, um, Peter's question. Yes, sir. And when you mentioned, so we got talking a little bit about breathing yes, with him. And when I mentioned breathing out of the nose, he said, oh, I never breathe out of my nose. Um, and that kind of also got me thinking about um, just that posture and the influence of all of that. Um, can you expound on what a rectus strategy means and what that is and kind of the whole relation there is because what I was thinking is that that posture is more um I think I've heard you say like gravity always wins or yes. we're always trying to manage gravity so after many years of kind of looking down and all that he's kind of in that posture but is it yeah is, is there more going on there regarding well, the breathing okay. that's influencing yeah. that yeah D depending on how many regular boys haircuts he does on a regular basis um he's going to be positioned in a certain like his arms are going to be in a certain position he's going to be standing all day kind of a thing um and so again he's and is and based on his age um there's going to be a couple of things that are, that are an influence here so what we're talking about those so take take every decent anterior posterior compressive strategy that there is superficially okay your last ditch effort here will be to pull the pull the sternum downward and pull the pubis. And essentially the pubis is getting pulled upward. What this is, is you're creating a, a wall in front of you so you don't fall out of your base of support to the front, right? It's your last chance to sort of stay inside of your base of support. Um, did you do uh, did you work, do work in the uh, extended care at all when you were a student? Um, no. Did you ever work with anybody with a walker? Yes. Okay, so the reason they give them a walker is so they don't bite the dust base first, right? Mm -hmm. And they can push down on it, right? And then that allows them to take a breath in when they're walking, okay? So they're actually pushing down on the walker to breathe, mm -hmm. right? So the rectus does the same thing. So the rectus is going to pull the sternum down, and that creates a teeny tiny little bend in the, in the backside of the axial skeleton that makes a little space to take air in. So it actually becomes an inhalation strategy, okay? Is, All right. is that almost like proning in a way? Who what? Have you heard of proning that strategy in like um, hospitals to help COVID patients breathe? Um, I haven't been in a hospital uh, in quite some time. I have a nursing buddy who um, one of the techniques is called proning, where they literally just lay them on their stomachs to yeah. create more AP expansion for the lungs. Are they okay? Hang on. Hang on. Are they are they elevating them on on pillows or anything like that? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, it may be it may be to drive the 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 posterior expansion, like to drive them into an inhaled position, right? Um, <clears throat> with a rectus strategy, it would be very difficult to lay flat, <clears throat> like flat flat. That's why I asked about the about the buildup again, because you've got you've got an anterior orientation that goes with it. Okay, because because again, rectus strategy would be very very late in this process. Um, when it becomes predominant, okay. But again, it's just pulling the sternum down. You don't have a pump handle. You don't have you don't have expansion anteriorly in the in the pelvis, right? So you you have to alleviate that. Okay. So you, you, so think about like okay in a in a perfect world, seventy five years old. I don't know if you'd be able to do this if you were in like a prone frog position where you're pushing into the ground through your elbows and knees. Okay. That would that's it's kind of like what you're talking talking about. It's, it's like like laying them prone over pillows or something like that would be like sort of like the passive representation of what what I just mentioned. Okay. Can you picture it? Yeah. Okay. But you're gonna have to move him away from midline, like move his extremities away from midline. Um, because he he won't have any space in front of him. So he'll be out here. This will be where his space is that he can access without a compensation. You start there and then you start to apply um, the ability to, to, again, it would be putting force into the ground if you were prone, um, but you can drive this with like your PNF diagonals and things like that. Mm -hmm. One side at a time, you can start to promote the ability to, to turn under those circumstances. You see it? You, you just have to, you have to, you have to be able to, uh, Eccentrically orient rectus abdominis. So if rectus is concentrically oriented, it's going to pin down the, the sternum because rectus goes up to <clears throat> fifth rib, okay, on both sides of the uh, of the sternum. So it's pinned down. So again, you do one extremity at a time in those available spaces, and then that's what's going to start to promote the eccentric orientation. It's going to allow the pump handle to start to move. You might have to do like manual therapy like soft tissue stuff to get some of the concentric orientation to release. Okay. And that's all with breath work, right? That uh, piano, you're, you're, you're with how else, how else can you um, push from the inside? Right. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Thanks. Sure. And again, it's like if, if you got a if you got a guy that's been a mouth breather for a really really long time, it's like just just teaching them how to um, to take an effective breath might be impactful. But if you start to superimpose some of the positioning and some of the muscle activity, that's also going to promote the ability to expand anterior to posterior. Bigger money. Mm -hmm. Okay, Does that makes um, sense. Yeah, right off the bat. Um, mm -hmm. Um, effective to teach the breathing in sideline? Sure. That okay. Okay. Yeah. Do it all the time. Okay. Like Thank just you. getting him to breathe through his nose might, might be like a tremendous solution for you. Right. Yeah. If he, if he hasn't been breathing through his nose. So think about this for a second. What do you got behind here? Behind your 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 cheekbones, in your skull, behind your face. 
easy, easy answer. Teeth, airway. They're down here. What's up here? You ever have a stuffed up nose? Yeah. Okay. You ever get a headache from it? Yeah. Okay. They call them what kind of headaches do you get when you're stuffed up nose? You got a and it hurts right here. Sinus. There you go. Sinus. Thank you. Who was that? Was that Don? Yes. Thanks, Don. Yeah. Okay. So if I don't breathe through my nose, how much expansion do I have in my mid face? Not very much. Why does why does Bill have braces? Bill has braces because he got punched in the face so aggressively as a small child that it flattened my face and I was not allowed to breathe through my nose for decades. Okay. That's, not, that's a joke. It looked like I got punched in the face. It probably still does now that you think about it. But point being is if I don't breathe through my nose, I don't get, I don't get AP expansion literally in my skull. Okay. So think about, about skull, like thorax, like pelvis. Right? So teach him to breathe through his nose. If you get any expansion in the cranium, you got greater potential expansion in the thorax. You got greater potential expansion in the pelvis, right? Sure. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Don't, forget, don't forget about stuff like that. Little, little things can go a long way sometimes. I'm not saying that that's a solution. I think you're probably, based on his age, you're probably gonna have a lot more work to do here, right? Yeah. But, but you can lead him in, in, in a direction that will sort of expand this front side, but, but you're gonna have to alleviate the rectus strategy because if the pump handle's not gonna move and then he's not gonna be able to take an effective breath, okay? Yeah, thanks, perfect. Good morning, happy Friday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect, all right. Crazy busy Friday. Um, time is short. We're going to dig straight into today's Q&A. Uh, this is with Matt. Matt is working with a client who has been um, diagnosed, if you will, with a representation of a hyperextended knee. Now, if you've been following along for any length of time, you understand that um, that would be a straight plane thinking representation, which would probably be incorrect because it's going to lead us down the wrong path. It's a bad model. Therefore, we're going to end up with bad strategies and ineffective tactics. Well, we got to look at this thing as as the twist that it is. And so we describe what this twist is, we describe how it gets magnified, and then that leads us to strategies as to how to alleviate this thing much more effectively. Lots of clues in this one, but really good representation. Great question from Matt, so thank you, Matt. Gotta make a run for it. Everybody have an outstanding Friday. Don't forget to go to the YouTube channel. Um, like, link, and subscribe, if you will. Uh, Recon Podcast, also up on YouTube. Um, so check that out as well. I will see you next week. Um, my little brain is having difficulty comprehending um, a client that I have. Anterior orientation, you've been through this with me before to some extent, but we're going to need to probably go through it again. Okay. I've got a guy who's got an anterior orientation, um, particularly on his right side. He's um, got what appears to be in a traditional sense a, a hyperextended knee so when you look at him uh, from a side view you'll see that, that that it looks like it's hyperextended uh the patella pain he's got um pain just above the patella in the uh, quadriceps tendon uh just above the patella and he gets it 
on pretty much any loaded bending activity at all. So anytime he gets his knee into <coughs> flexion uh, to any oh, extent, it comes on. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, comes on almost immediate, almost immediately, and that's got progressively worse over time. Um, mm -hmm. He was taping it and sort of he was holding it superiorly and taping it, and that seemed to relieve it for a while. But that's not working any longer. So he's just obviously getting driven further into this position. Um, you know, what I'm trying to come to terms with is, first of all, the that mechanism of the high, what we'll, we'll just call it traditional hyperextension of the ER compensation that he's got happening at the knee. Can you demo that if you happen to have a leg or a knee handy somewhere as to yeah. exactly what's taking place there and how that's, how he's trying to use that to acquire more space? Yeah. <clears throat> Is it is it's a right knee? A right knee, yeah. Okay. So there's a right knee. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> the femur is going to turn that way. Tibia is okay. going to turn that way relative. Okay. Right. All right. Now, <clears throat> that's normal. Right. What's not normal about this scenario? Is the anterior orientation okay? So, so what is that? What is that going to add to the system, especially through the extremity? What's going to happen here? Yeah. Say again. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, hang on. Yeah. Yes, but <clears throat> what's the the anterior orientation is going to bring the center of gravity up over the femur? Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, if I uh, if I stand on your shoulders, are you taller? Shorter. Okay. So now let's start to think about what what's actually happening here. Okay. So I I have increased the downward force on top of the femur at a different angle from what it would typically be. Right. I mean, it it, it actually is exposed to this this stress on a regular basis, but I have now sustained it by anterior orientation, <clears throat> right? So he always has a little bit more of this, this downward pressure going through the leg, okay? So if I have a leg that turns outward a little bit more at the top and a little bit inward more at the bottom, and I smush it together, do you know what happens to those two, that relationship? Well, it obviously isn't where it's supposed to be. So I guess, well, I guess it'll it'll increase the differential between the two because it okay, if you compress a spring, right? You you when you compress a spring, it, it gets wound tighter, right? Yes. Okay. So that's kind of what we're looking at here. So we've got a spring that we're that we're gonna compress. And so so what we what we've got is we've got this increase in the differential between the top and the bottom. Okay. Now, if I do that, are there anything, is there anything that's attached to these bones that might be influential under the circumstance? Yeah, 100%, 100% ligaments, muscles. Uh, there you go. Let's talk about muscles. Let's talk about muscles, okay? Are there any muscles that would be either directly or indirectly attached to the patella? Well, you know, you got quadriceps, so you got like VM, VL. Okay, so let's let's talk about those. All right. So if I take the proximal end of the femur and I twist it farther into ER, I bend it. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I bend it farther into the arm. Did I change the position of the attachment of VL? Yes, you're going to you, you're going to link. Well, you're going to tie it's going to, it's going to start the hiding behind the femur, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then if I take the if I take the distal aspect of it and I twist it inward. Mm -hmm. Did I move? Did I move any of it in the other direction? Well, you're going to be pulling it. It's going to be under more tension. Okay. Then I got to attach it to the patella, and I I have changed the vector, if you will, that's going to pull on the patella. Right. Okay. Yep. Can you see that? Yeah. Right. yeah. So yeah. I've now limited, I have now limited the, I have now limited the excursion of the patella. Okay. And it's going to be biased towards a position that is going to be a superior lateral. If we were, if we were flat, it'd be superior lateral. Um, one second. Um, I always forget where I was when that happens. Superior uh, lateral. Superior lateral. Thank you. All right, so 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 pull the patella superior laterally. So it's under tension, right? Via its connection to the muscle. So I got muscle, I got tendon, I got patella. You get it? Yeah. Okay. It's going to bring the the other end of the attachment, so to speak. So I have the the patellar tendon slash ligament that's going to go from the patella to the to the tibia. That's going to twist the tibia out in dr as well, to whatever degree it can. But I have constraints. It's like there's only so much stuff that, that there's only so far I can move. Like it's not indefinite. I'm going to reach a point where I am no longer capable of the elastic element of the connective tissues, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm just keep, going to keep pulling it and pulling it and pulling. So he was taping it in a superior lateral direction, correct? Yes. Well, initially that would that would probably take tension off of the the affected area so to speak right yeah it gives you I, I i i i've used this term like twice in two days and i'm a little sick to my stomach about it it sort of creates a little slack doesn't it like it kind of moves it in the direction that's already going it's like oh i just gave you a little bit of a buffer right yeah all right but he's going to exhaust that too because you made it easier for all of these turns to take place by moving the patella in that direction, you initially give him a little bit of slack and he goes, hey, you know what? I can squeeze this a little bit tighter. I can twist this a little bit harder and I can take even more tension, right? And now yeah. he's out of room. Now he's out of room. Is it, okay. so what, what difference, what's the difference between what um, denotes whether that pain's going to uh, appear above or below the patella? Is there, a, um, is there something? It, it's it's just going to, it's, so, okay, so you understand like uh, these tendons twist, right? Yeah. Okay, you understand that when muscles um, behave, they also twist. Yes. Okay, so symptomatically, when we look at tendons, if you look at like the cross-section of tendons when there's like a tendinopathy or something similar, there, there are areas that, um, that get highlighted on like MRIs and things like that because there's a difference in the fluid content. Okay. So basically we're just identifying with, with those type of scans, we're identifying where the, 
um, the tendon is sort of getting twisted and then compressed. Okay. So mechanically speaking, it's like, where does he have the least amount of change capable? So in some yeah. circumstances, it's going to be above the patella. Some circumstances will be below the patella. Some circumstances, you, you ever get the, the, the younger folk that come in with the pain at the tibial tubercle and they get, they get uh, branded with a diagnosis of, of Osgood slaughter? Yeah. It's the same problem. It's just at the other end, right? So I had tension on the quad tendon in this circumstance. The 14-year-old uh, kid that wants to come in and, and and uh, you know, be a, a, a Aussie rules football player or something like that. He he's got patellar tendon or he's got uh, patellar tibial tubercle pain, but it's the same problem. It's just like where does where is so, where's the tension the greatest under that circumstance? So when you get a when you get a fifty year old or near on fifty year old that's got a, a big lump under their knee, uh -huh. such as yours, really. Uh -huh. um, with that structural change, there's I'm just trying to contemplate how that might how that might present as far as um, changing that changing the dynamic changing the the rules of the of the of the system there because the the, the tuberosity has grown anteriorily uh -huh. to quite a, quite a margin in my case yes, it's, absolutely it's, you know sticks out of quite a bit mm -hmm. and that's going to that's going to raise so my patella if you view it sort of sits yeah. a lot higher on my left right. leg than it does on my right leg yes sir so um if if you're getting someone that's got that for instance and they're still getting you know still getting no pain etc uh -huh. the um th there's not going to be any way of changing that without you know some sort of surgical intervention which isn't likely to be a, a good choice at, at this point no but no. um no no so when you're looking at that as that's risen as that's risen up that theoretically should offload a lot of the structures but when you were saying with the taping that's brought something to mind that could that could potentially have just allowed things to get worse a lot easier than otherwise as far as if i've got an anterior orientation then we're accommodating that position even more so right. and if you're under yeah, pe under pressure and, yeah, yeah i I, I wouldn't look at this as a singular event or, or a singular yeah. influence. Okay. Like, like, yeah, you, you've got to, you've got to change, you've got a mechanical change, but there's also other influences that are in play here. Yeah. Right. It's like, how much, how much adaptability do you have relative to that change? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Okay. You know, it's, 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 it, I mean, take any, take any injury, take any structural change, and you'll have two people branded with the same diagnosis that appear to have the same problem, but one might be symptomatic and the other might not be because one has more adaptability in the system. So they have, they have, they have other ways to dampen force, distribute energy, right? Where somebody else might not. And so they absorb more in that one spot, right? Okay. But but that that thing that thing will tend to get blamed because what did school teach you? What's the mistake that school teaches you? 
that there's only one right there's only one right answer on the test right (laughs) but 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 here's the dealio it's like oh i have other influences here i have to take those into consideration the more influences you understand the more options you now have as to why something might be and you have more options as to how you may resolve them Uh, right yeah cool long story short very good Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. Hi, Bill. Greetings. Long time. Um, uh, so I have a question about basically ER and IR. Mm-hmm. The, it's a very foundational one. Okay. So I'm trying to tie the uh, relative motion versus orientation uh-huh. and ER and IR space and how they interact. Uh-huh. Um, so you mentioned that, uh, so every time I think about ER and IR, I think about your uh, analogy of a towel. Like, so, so you mentioned if I, let's say this is my right arm. So if I ring the distal end, uh-huh. Like inward, that's yeah. internal rotation, right? Correct. So, sure. um, so if I unring it, the towel is external rotation. Sure. So, does that equals to uh, say if my arm is here, I'm starting from an ER uh-huh. uh, position, and then I go into IR as I right. turn the arms inward. Yes. Um, if I unring the towel back to my uh, original position and then I ring the towel in another direction. What do you mean by by another direction? Sorry. So so continue to ER my arm from Uh this to to uh proximal. uh Yes. Uh, Does that, is that compression again? Is that internal rotation again? Okay. So so hold your arm out there, and I want you to tell me. So, so just turn it into ER comfortably. Like go to where it feels like it's the end, but don't force it. You I'll got it. Here. You yeah. got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, if you turn that, if you turn your hand farther, keep going. Okay. Did you feel your posture change? Yeah. Okay. So you're increasing the compressive strategy from from your hand. So I said, turn your hand and you had to, you had to move here, which means that you have exhausted, you've exhausted all the motion in the extremity. And so now you have to start to compensate through your axial skeleton to achieve a position in space. Yep. You see that? Yes. Okay. Did your chest move forward? Okay. So that means your arm turned outward, but your spine and your rib cage moved forward. Do you understand the difference? Yeah. So the arm is turning outward into an ER orientation and the axial skeleton is pushing down and forward. Okay. And there's the IR. Okay. So, so, so if my arm is here, not to, not to the, like, this is the, the most comfortable 
uh, and, and range. Yes, um, that's the ER expanded representation, right? So, so the it, towel it, has no, almost no tension. It depends on how far you go. So when you exhaust, when you exhaust the relative motion, it is compressed at that point. Before you turn into it would be the greatest representation of expansion in that direction. Because as you move into a space, you exhaust the space. Like it disappears as you move into it. That's why your arm stops in the first place is because you, you've, you have space, you turn, you take some away, you turn, you take some away, you turn, you take some away, you turn and stop, there is none left. That's why, that's why motion stops. That's why you had to start to move your axial skeleton is because you no longer had any relative motions available to you. Okay. So does that mean if, I, if I'm here, uh, my relative motion is gone? Correct. Uh, you, have a, you, you are at the end of what is available to you. For you to go farther means that you have to compensate somewhere else, you have to add ER to the system to turn your hand. So your hand is not turning relative to yeah. anything anymore. It's just turning in absolute space. Okay, so that's the ER orientation. Motion. Say again? So that's the ER orientation. Thank you, that is correct. Okay, so- uh, Which so means that you better have an IR somewhere else because they're both always there. Mm-hmm. So to, to sort of turn farther into ER, you have to IR somewhere else. Okay. Yeah, I think I get it now. Okay. Um, so uh, I have another question uh, about the, so how does the uh, compensatory sequence of narrow and wide? So, uh, so, so typically uh, you said the narrow compresses uh, anteriorly first and then posterior um, and why why uh, is uh, the reverse so how does this concept ties into propulsion where compression is pushing us posteriorly to anteriorly so so propulsion is the typical sequence of events to move forward through space mm -hmm. okay the compensatory strategies help you stay inside of your base of support, okay? And then they will take away elements of relative motion that you might need to access those phases of propulsion. Okay? So if I'm pushing you forward through space, the same muscle activity is taking place, but it doesn't stop. Whereas with, with propulsion, I'm moving through space. And so I have a sequence of events where I have certain amounts of muscle activity in one direction, lesser muscle activity in another direction that allows me to move forward because I have to, I have to move one side of my body faster than the other. So I, I, have, I have slowing down on one side, I have speeding up on the other side, okay? If I have a compensatory strategy, a superficial muscle activity to hold myself inside of my base of support as I'm trying to move, I will, I will reduce the elements of propulsion that exist in the direction that I want to go. They will exist out that way sometimes, which it means that I have to walk funny, right? I have to turn funny. I have to use my okay. compensatory strategy. I have to use my compensatory strategy that we just talked about, mm. right? So if, if your arm, put your arm out there, 
turn it into ER. Okay, so let's just say that the palm of your hand is the bottom of your foot and you wanna take a step forward. But I'm twisting you now and I'm gonna compress, I'm gonna compress you here and I'm gonna compress you back there. So you now can't change from that position in your arm. How do you get your palm down to the ground? I orient my body. Like, you have to, yeah. Like so, this. So, so that's what the compensatory strategies do is they make you create orientations to put stuff in the right place so you can continue to move through space until you don't have motion anymore. Okay. The, so the reason the compensatory sequence, the sequence of events of how they are accumulated is based on your physical structure and the desire to stay inside of your base of support. Yeah. That's, why, that's why they're a little different in regards to timing. Okay. So, so the reason why I ask is I always try to like, so when I, when I uh, have a case, I watch try to reverse engineer um, the compensatory sequence. Yeah. So uh, let's say if, if, if I'm a narrow, uh, I push forward on the left first and yes. then to the right, right? So That's, hang on, in, in the, hang on, hang on. That's how the center of gravity is moving. Okay. Okay. Based on how the compensatory strategies are applied. So that's the wide versus narrow thing. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Okay. So if I want to reverse that, uh, I push them from right back to the left and then back on the left side. For a narrow ISI, that's that would be the general movement. Yes. And but now we're back to Dante's question. There we go. Tied it right back in. Thank you. Yeah, I was actually uh, discussing this about uh, with Dante. So if I push them back to the left and I, but let me see how to phrase this question here. Mm -hmm. So, but if I have a, but if I want to move forward, then I, then I always have a, like a posterior compression on the left side to push me forward, right? So, so which which uh, compression should I uh, alleviate first? Uh, is it on the posterior which the side? Which is the last one to occur? Which is the last one to occur? Last one to occur for for the okay. narrow. Okay. For the narrow, is I'm going to make this crazy simple. I'm gonna make this crazy yeah. simple. Okay. Yeah. Alright. The last one to occur, relatively speaking is posterior, fair? Yes? Why is that? A narrow ISA. It's a narrow. Your compression first, okay. posterior compression yeah. second. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. I said, I'm, I'm making this crazy simple. Like I'm taking all of the compensatory strategies out of the play and I'm just saying there's two. There's, there's one on the front, there's one on the back. Yeah. Okay. The center of gravity moves forward first on a narrow ISA. Okay. which means that I will try to move backwards second, right? Um, and then that's where you get the posterior compressor strategy to push you back forward. 
So that's the last one to occur, which means that that would be the first one to take away, right? Because it occurred last. Think about this. I'm already compressed anteriorly. So the center of gravity is moving forward. It's the center of gravity is moving forward. The so it's just like your first question. It's like there's a space in front of the, hang on. Let's get a pillow. There's a space in front of me here. Can yeah. you see it? Yeah. You see that space? You see the space? Yes. It's my hand in the pelvis. Okay. So there's a space there, right, right here, right? So um, because of the way that my physical structure is, because of the compensations that I have to use to breathe, I start going in this direction, which means that I got to start pushing back to stay inside of my base of support. And then that, that gets exhausted. And then I start to go back that way. Right. And I don't want to fall that way. And so then I get pushed here. Do you see it? So so my question is uh for the anterior space, is it yeah. not already compressed? Like why do you still have the anterior space? They don't have it. They, they don't have they don't have the anterior space when the center of gravity moves. It disappears. So after I moved my center of gravity forward, they don't, and the, the, the anterior space is getting less and less. Okay. Yeah, it, it would be like, it'd be like standing in front of a wall and getting closer to the wall. And then eventually you bump into the wall. Okay. Right. But uh, for the narrow, so, so this is, I think, where it disconnects for me. For the narrow, I, uh, you said the anterior, the compression is happening anteriorly first, and then posterior. Yeah. So if I if I anteriorly compressed first, then I shouldn't have uh, the space uh, anteriorly. Disappearing as you move forward. That's why you lose yeah. IR. That's why you lose IR. You lose IR. As I move forward. Yes. Okay. So if I want to move forward, should I have the posterior compression prior to anterior compression? Because I'm moving forward. So that's my question. Your center of, your center of gravity is moving forward because of the physical shape. Okay. The expansion is forward on a narrow ISA when they start to compensate to breathe. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. It is a very busy Monday. Uh, first, a little housekeeping item. IFAST University members, we have a call at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is the correct time, by the way, um, considering the screw up from last time. Uh, so yes, if you're not an IFAST member, please go to ifastuniversity.com, get yourself signed up so you can join us for that call at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The last call was killer. We went like two hours and it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. We broke down cross connects and and um, a little bit of the uh, what we're talking about on today's Q&A, um, we broke down a little bit of an activity. So digging in today's Q&A, this is with Ian. This is a follow-up question. 
um, from something that we showed last week from uh, Alex. And uh, Ian was trying to capture medial foot contacts on a wide ISA individual and, and was going to go after like a heels elevated representation and was still having trouble capturing medial foot contacts. And that is because, I mean, that, that's a sign that is the external rotation is so far away from midline. So under these circumstances, heel elevation is not going to work. And so what you want to, want to do under these circumstances is you want to use a wider stance to help them capture those medial foot contacts so they can apply IR into the surface. Um, to assist with that, I talked Ian through a sequence of events to teach him how to find medial foot contacts for a wide ISA. So we actually go step by step through this. You can follow along if you like. Um, it's very useful, um, especially when you're really, really challenged with these wide ISA individuals um, that have trouble with getting first metatarsal head down with a heel contact. So thank you, Ian, for uh, asking this follow-up question. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I have a follow-up. Uh, just for the for the wide ISA, I'm seeing a guy now that uh, has a uh, right, uh, like com compressed from the back, like pushed forward on the right side. And I wanted to squat with him, like an offset squat, put the right foot back to get him back on oblique, uh -huh. but without a heel elevation on a platform, uh, whole foot on the platform, like he couldn't, he couldn't capture the the heel contact, uh, the foot contact. But uh, could could that be one uh, one variation to to elevate to elevate the heels with the wide ISA? Because if he's so far pushed forward, probably his his DR or the sacral base is also compressed. So to start with that, to to bring to bring the sacral base back, like to get a yield on the on the sacral base and then eventually drop the heel elevation and put the foot down. I I think probably what what I would do. Um so here's here's what might be the problem is um you got his his stance is too narrow relative to the space that he has available. Okay. So even if you elevate, if you elevate, if you elevate a foot and cannot capture the contacts, ER is way outside because you're putting them in an ER position with the, with the foot elevation, it's just not enough. And so what you might need to do is actually start them in a wider stance to capture the, the foot contact Okay. versus doing the heel elevate. Think about this, Ian, it's like, I, the, for what I'm trying to capture on that side, it's not really uh, the the uh, the ER representation. It's like I'm not trying to counter nutate a sacral base. I'm trying to capture the IR on that side, right? Right. right. Yeah, because I was because I was seeing the the IR land in front of the ankle, so that's why I went after the heel elevation. Uh, and like, like I said. I, I like I'm not I'm not disagreeing with your strategy, but if you elevate the heel and you still don't capture the, the foot contacts, it's like, okay, we gotta we gotta move this leg away. Because like again, so think about it, you're gonna try to you're gonna try to stagger him or something like that. It's like it's like that widens, that moves him away from midline. You elevate that moves him towards ER. It's like and you're still not getting it, it's like it's farther out. Okay. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. You gotta get yeah. it's like uh um I don't want to say sumo, but it's a, a, in that direction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I was, I was trying it, but it was more like he was more uh, dropping the IR medially. It wasn't like the the ER foot, the the back foot wasn't like on the lateral 
the side of the foot, but it was more like I was seeing this. So I didn't want to put him out more because I would see even more orientation inward. Usually if I put them further out, I would see don't the Don't stagger. Don't, don't stagger it. All right. All right. Just, no, just, just, just wider. Just go wider first. All right. Got it. Got it. I'll try. I'll try that. I'll try that. Um, if you, uh, I'll show you a trick. Stand up for a second. Um, wider than hip width stance. Okay. Like exaggerated wider than hip width stance. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, what I want you to do is I want you to, to kind of sit down. So both knees and ankles will be bent. Okay. All right. How wide, is, how wide are your feet relative to your hips right now? Uh, more, more. I want you, it's like you're on a, you're on a big, you're on, you're, you're riding a Clydesdale horse. All right. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Now hip, knee, foot. Dale's going to love this hip, knee, foot in a straight line. All right. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, we want right hip IR. Yeah. Okay. Capture the, you should be able to capture medial foot contacts. Like even you, even yes, you should be able to capture medial foot contacts here, right? Yes, sir. Yes, okay. Sir. Take your right arm and I want you to reach straight out in line with your femur. In line with your femur. Reach. Like, not down. Not down. Straight out. Not like that. Yeah. But reach. Like, reach. So your center of gravity has got to shift over your right foot. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Like, you're not shifting. Like, shift. Don't turn. Don't turn away. Don't turn away. Don't turn away. Tell me when you start to feel your quad. Got it. Okay. Take your left arm, reach in the same direction as the right arm, but make your left arm longer. Oh. No, don't turn. Don't turn. Don't turn, but make it longer. It's going to bring the hip with it. You feel it? Yeah. Now, tell me that your quad is very busy. Yes, sir. Okay, you still got a heel contact? Yes, sir. You still got first met head? Yes, sir. You feel the IR going into the ground? Yes, sir. And I got you in a space that you could access to start, didn't I? Yes, sir. Bingo. All right, all right. And that, and that reach with the, with the left arm was basically the overcoming on the left so I can start delaying the, the right side. So, yeah. All right, yeah. got it.